Welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. I'm here in our online studio with Sean McGever. Sean is the Area Director for Young Life in Phoenix, Arizona. He's an adjunct faculty at Grand Canyon University, the author of The Good News of Our Limits and Born Again, The Evangelical Theology of Conversion in John Wesley and George Whitfield. His latest book is the main topic of our conversation today, and that book is published by Lexham Press entitled Evangelism for the Care of Souls. Sean speaks, teaches, and ministers across the U.S., Canada, the U.K. Sean, thanks for joining us for this conversation. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Super excited to be here. All right. So before we dive into talking about evangelism and the gospel, uh, I always think it's fun to hear a little bit more about our guests as teenagers. So we are roughly uh, the same age. And so curious, who was your favorite athlete as a teenager and why? Oh, yeah, I, I got I had a real clear answer on that one. <clears throat> Daryl Strawberry. So I don't do you know who nice. that is? Mike? You heard of Daryl Strawberry? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. So I was a big baseball fan. I grew up in old like downtown Scottsdale, Old Town Scottsdale. And I was like one of those kids straight out of Stranger Things riding their bike around all the time. But fortunately, in my neighborhood, there there's spring training in, in Phoenix. And I would ride my bike up. We have the home of the Giants at Scottsdale Stadium there. And I had like a childhood type of thing where I was like looking uh, through the cracks in the fence at the outfield um, during spring training and watching players rolling in their cars and just kind of riding my bike up and just being overwhelmed with that. So I loved baseball growing up. I wasn't all that good at it. I am left-handed. So people are like, oh, maybe, maybe you'll be good at baseball. I, I wasn't, but um, things like that. <laughs> but so I, I loved yeah. baseball. We ha- uh, had you know spring training games here. We had a triple A baseball team for the Giants. So I was around baseball a lot and would just ride my bike up and kind of just, you know, watch from the outside a lot. But for whatever reason, I loved Daryl Strawberry. Uh, maybe it was just because his name sounded cool, uh, but the Mets were a big thing back then with Dwight Gooden and that whole crew there. You know, they, yep. they were, you know, yep. a top team. And I was just, I loved his swing. He just had a unique, fluid swing. And then he was also really known not only for hitting lots of yeah. homers, but he could steal a lot of bases. So I think... Uh, I mean, that's starting to come back in baseball, yeah, yeah. you know, where people like no one, you know, it's it had gone by the wayside that stealing bases was a thing. But back then that was a big yeah. thing. And yeah, I think yeah. he was a 40, 40, uh, guy, 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases. I had a massive poster and um, yeah. all of him. And then I was really into baseball cards. So I, I had, you know, all of his rookie cards and everything. It, so I was without a doubt, Daryl Strawberry was my guy. Oh man. That brings me right back. I haven't thought about him in a long time, but yeah, growing up, my uh, my dad's uh, business had season tickets to Fenway because I'm in the Boston okay. area. Okay. So um, when I, whenever whenever we played the Mets, I was like, Dad, we got to get these tickets. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was just electric. He was electric. He was so much fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, the nice. straw that stirs. So that. I mean, he took you know he had had a couple bumps in the road with his you know choices and all. Uh, that. yeah. But then like yeah, he, there's yeah, uh, he's not like, the greatest uh, lifestyle. He's model. come around. <laughs> Apparently, you know, he's he's walking with the Lord and and uh, doing different things like that. But uh, I saw him probably like five or eight years ago at a Chipotle here, where I lived. Is 
there, especially there's sometimes there's, you know, famous folk that live in North Scottsdale, yeah. which is where I live. And I saw him at Chipotle and I was like right behind him. Okay. I was like, I gotta say hi. I gotta say hi, but I just wanted to give him a space because I, so I didn't say anything. I kind of regret that. I should have yeah. said something. Be like, you're my fave, man. <laughs> but I just, yeah. it's like a grown, you know, as a grown man. That's I always, just, that's yeah, always the struggle, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be that guy, but I am that guy, but yeah. I don't want to know that I'm that yeah. guy. Like I worshiped you when I was a kid. <laughs> hey, do you, you know, do you, what, what, what are you going to get here at Chipotle? You know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, lots it. of fun. I love yeah, it. I, I never got to see him play. So you're lucky. So I'm, and at Fenway, that must've been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, so fun. Yeah. It's great. Uh, so, uh, uh, pivoting hard pivot yeah. <laughs> to uh, evangelism and, and student ministry, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a really uh, important conversation. Sometimes we can uh, talk about evangelism, like ah, oh, it's just the gospel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, hold on, hold on. But like, w- we need we need good theology uh, for evangelism, um, and sometimes that can really be undermined and minimized. Uh, but it's really important to think through what is it that's happening when we're calling students to put their faith in Christ. Um, and so uh, your new book is Evangelism for the Care of Souls. Uh, could you just share a little bit about why, what's the the main premise of that book and, and why did you write it? What do you hope that uh, readers and youth workers in particular could take away from that? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. So I came to faith as a teenager. Uh, I was evangelized. I didn't, hadn't gone to church or anything. So it was, it was, uh, wow. Yeah. It was a little over 30 years ago. So, you know, the, the gospel came to me and almost over the last, you know, three decades, 30 years, I've been unpacking what the heck happened to me and, you know, and how can I help other people, you know, perhaps Mm -hmm. think about that. And so in this book, I tried to have a 30 year perspective on me understanding practically, theologically, pastorally, emotionally, what's, what am I doing? What's happening in the midst of this? And, uh, you know, I guess on the, on a couple decades in, is there any wisdom that I've acquired that I might be able to share? So, um, I was asked to write this book by Hal Sinkbeel. There's a book that it was like the Christianity of the year, uh, book of the year, the care of souls, cultivating yeah. a pastor's heart. Yeah. And what it, did was that book really found a large audience because it tried to revive the historic practice of uh, the pastoral duty of caring for souls. And so that that book on its own is, yeah. is, a, is a great read and tries to re-center us on the longer-term pastoral practice of caring for souls. So um, I'd encourage everyone mm-hmm. to read that book. And they, they approached me and said, yeah. we kind of know that you resonate with that approach and would you write a book in that scheme or uh, on the topic of evangelism? They have a whole bunch of different books like worship. Um, there's one out on funerals. There's a, a bunch of pastoral tasks. They asked me to write the one on evangelism. So um, I was like, yeah, this, this would be wonderful. It's basically, uh, this isn't the way I did it at first, but as I've got a couple decades now into yeah. youth ministry and in evangelism, this is this really resonates with what I do. So when I try to explain the book to folks, I say something like, what I'm doing is is trying to unpack the emotional experience of evangelism for the evangelist and the person that's evangelized. So yes, I, I, I do occasionally pass a couple yeah. hard tactics of here's how to evangelize. But I'm not so much doing that because I think there's a lot of good, there's a lot of those already established that we can don't need to have rewritten. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to do is say, yeah. 
from the inside, here's what it feels like. On the inside, here's the ups and downs when people respond, don't respond. You're trying to find words to do this and that, whatever. I'm not saying, I, I do have some directions about what to do, but but like, what's going on? And what, what do you really have control of? What do you not have control of? Where are you hoping this will go? Obviously, we want people to get saved and grow in faith and all that. But that's that's what I'm looking at. So it's also a turn, rather than seeing people maybe young people, teenagers as numbers to count or a task to complete or a soul to win, there can be a healthy way to look at some of those. But I would want to like put an asterisk or a nuance on all of those things. And, 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 and instead, you know, look at them more as holistic people that the Lord has loved um, from before we met them and will love them after we probably won't be a part of their lives. So, you know, a snapshot yeah. of I'll probably know them for a couple of years. And then I got to kind of hand them off. I'm not going to be as big a part of their life as other people will be. And so what is the specific task of evangelism? And uh, what are we doing in that chapter when we're in their lives? And as a youth minister, I mean, that's just really profound. Mm -hmm. In particular, with I do, I work with high school kids. I'm always handing kids off as they go off to their next thing. And there's a bunch of new kids coming in. And um, so, yeah, I I try not Mm -hmm. to look at these kids that I... um, love and pray for and minister to as numbers or people I need to win. Um, but instead I want to care for these people and care for their souls as the Lord provides opportunities. And for those that don't know Christ, one way to care for them is to share the good news and see how they respond. Yeah. Amen. So you are a longtime um, young life area director, mm-hmm. right? And came to faith as a teenager yourself. Um, so I'm kind of curious, how does your personal experience and how does your uh, ministry through Young Life, um, how do you think that's shaped your approach to evangelism? Yeah, I think there's there's a bunch of things that I wish Young Life could do better. <laughs> we could talk about those. But the two things that I would lead with to say, um, the things that get me most excited about Young Life, because there's moments when I'm a little grumpy, I'll be honest. Yeah. But the things that get me most excited are two, two things. One is we are relentlessly focused on Jesus. So anytime you go to a Young Life meeting, we are going to open up the gospel and tell stories about the life of Jesus. Now, because we are wanting to do mm-hmm. um, kind of frontline evangelism, if we only have one opportunity where this kid might, like we have a dodgeball thing on Monday, like, you know, a lot of us do those things. But my, my target audience in that is a kid that's yeah. only going to come one time. And so in those sort of meetings, I am for sure going to open up a story about the life of Jesus. I just, so we are relentlessly focused on the message of Jesus. And I think that that has given us an evangelistic anchor where, where I'm, I'm really happy about that theologically, missionally, like, I love that about what we do. And that lots of people do that, but we also do that in your life. And that's something that I have found to be one of my favorite things. The other thing is going to where people are at. So you know, I'm in my 21st year at going to Pinnacle High School, the same school over and over. And I've, you know, I'm also good friends with lots of the local pastors, you know, youth ministers, some of whom were my, you know, my young life kids, all that been been around for a couple of decades, that happens. (laughs) But, you know, I'm very familiar with who's on that campus, who's going to games, who's going to theater, you know, these sort of things. And, um, uh, like, we're there a lot. Like it's not a competition, but I just know that that we are persistent at going to these things and being at them. 
And I love that we just have a, a persistent commitment to sharing kind of focal point of Jesus and to going to where people are at and not waiting for them to come to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the urgency of the gospel um, and the urgency of evangelism is something that church-based youth workers like myself um, really have a lot to learn from young life workers. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for highlighting that. And thanks more so for your actual ministry <laughs> to students and doing that. Um, so when you're, when you're training new youth workers and volunteers to practice evangelism to teenagers, uh, what are some things that you emphasize that could be helpful for our listeners? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Just on Sunday, I wrapped up uh, a couple week uh, training. And so basically, what we walk through and what I normally walk through, um, the first thing would be the your own walk of Christ, obviously. So, you know, we, we go through, um, you know, how are you, you know, you're, you're, where you're at with your walk? How are you being watered? How are you being encouraged? How are you growing in your faith? Um, various things like that. Uh, so we, we do some trainings and we have some homework assigned to that. We also emphasize the relationship with the church. So the, what church are you going to? How often do you go? How are you involved? We challenge that. We ask all the people who are interested in volunteering with us, have they been baptized? If you haven't been baptized, have you considered it? Um, have you, why wouldn't you be baptized? Things like that. Um, so we spend most of our time yeah. with that, with those sort of things. After that, then we want people to know the gospel. So we have a, a gospel training and um, a lot of it, it, like it's not perfect, but we have a memorized Romans 6.23. We walk them through, you know, the, the bridge to life kind of thing. We don't use it. It's just one kind of tool in the tool belt. Um, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about how, how we share the gospel and all that. Is it perfect? No. Is it reductionistic? A little, a little bit, but it's still for, for, for younger people. And they don't know, I think it gets us, gets us down. It, it, it gets some good work done. So we'll give them some tools about sharing the gospel. Yeah. And then we also give some homework about sharing the gospel. So we will, uh, my, my typical homework assignment after we show them like the bridge to life kind of illustration is to share it with two people. One person who's really easy, maybe a fellow Christian, maybe their parent, maybe a leader, mentor, and then someone who, who it's a little bit more difficult. And then in our next meeting, they come back and report how that went. And we debrief that. So um, that we do that. And then our big thing with uh, after that and kind of closing would be how to how to go to people, how to do what and you don't have to turn that we use is contact work, but it's just you know going to where people are at, how to be with people. Uh, our central verse on that would be uh, John 1 14, the word became flesh, made his one among us, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father full of grace and truth. So we talk about the incarnation, talk about what Christ did. We talk about how we um, want to um, follow in his footsteps to go to people. And also at the end of that, full of grace and truth. So we talk about what it means to engage with people, um, not only with grace and not only with truth, but with both of those things. And so what is it like to engage with Christians, yeah. non-Christians, et cetera, with grace? And also what is it like to engage with Christians, non-Christians, et cetera, with truth? And then when we read about the God, when we look at the life of Jesus, um, how do we see him doing that? So we talk about grace and truth in relationships and in trying to connect with new people. That's good. Yeah. So when you're, when you're recruiting and, and training new volunteers, um, I can imagine <laughs> that, um, 
for some of my the volunteers that I would get at church and the volunteers that you get with Young Life are going to be different personalities, different types, right? So my my hunch would be that you're going to get volunteers who are more open to actually doing the work of evangelism than some of the youth workers that that I might get. So what when you're when you're looking to recruit and to develop volunteers, what do you look for? Um, uh, kind of in addition to the things that you just mentioned about their their life in Christ and their participation in a church and baptism and their own spiritual maturity and th- those things. Um, what do you look for in an evangelistically minded youth worker? Mm-hmm. I'd say we'll take my, my two requirements. I have two questions. Do you love Jesus and like teenagers? If you answer yes to both those questions, yeah. I want to talk to you. So those are, those are the, the basics. Yeah. But on the flip side, those that over time kind of stick with it, if you will, you know, probably yep. about three quarters of those that, that, it, it, that do evangelism, do young life, or you know, it just comes down to, it was done to them. Like, just to be honest, like their life was radically yeah. changed when they were a teenager. And so most of it, there's two things. One is they have a natural drive that it's not convenient. It's not easy. It's time consuming. But you know what? It was done for me and I'll do it for someone else. So they have this, this kind of drive that, yeah. that, so maybe the bigger change that they had as a teenager, it, they are able to leverage that and resource that in, in ways that maybe some others, um, it, might, it might be having to dig a, dig a little deeper. So, so the ones that stick yeah. with it a little bit more naturally or longer, they had a, a massive change in their life when they were a teenager. Um, and then the other, uh, oh, there's two things I was going to say. The other one is that, um, I can't think of the other one. So that's probably, yeah, <laughs> maybe it'll come to me in a second, but that's, that's usually the one that is, is the biggest. It was, it was, it was done for them and they, they kind of like, yeah. know what to do naturally. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll just yeah. Missed it. I I yeah. Well, cause that, that comes from the gut, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's like a more of a core conviction. Yeah. 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 That's good. Um, so when you're, when you're working with students, um, and you're, um, you know, discipling someone, um, maybe they're new to the faith, maybe they've, um, kind of just had a, a a recent kind of awakening and a, a, a renewed desire to share the gospel with their friends and with their peers. Um, how do you, how do you train and deploy students to do the work and ministry of evangelism? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing that has been most helpful for us over the last 10 or 20 years is a bit of a pipeline and it's not, it's not anything revolutionary, but giving them uh, little tasks yeah. as they're able and giving them more as they show that they are interested and faithful. So mm-hmm. um, if a person comes to faith or gets really involved, we see that. Um, after a few months, we'll invite them to be a junior leader and we will you know, say it's by invitation only. We have a pretty formalized like process for that and training that comes with the interview, those sort of things. Um, so we kind of have like a discipleship, which happens to often be a leadership pipeline that is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of homespun and homegrown. Um, so that, that's, yeah. that's kind of like the, the one that's been most powerful. 
Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that, that's been it. That's mostly been, been it. And then if some stick around in college, which a fair amount are kind of close, they'll volunteer then. And then if they, you know, decide to keep living in the area, they'll, they'll continue. That's, that's one of the, the main kind of discipleship paths that we have. I mean, the more traditional lining in life is we have like two meetings a week. We have a, something called club. It's more an outreach. And then we have something called campaigners, which is essentially just a Bible study. So the really natural thing is, Hey, did you have fun? We're doing, a, we're doing something similar on Thursday rather than, you know, listening to someone, we talk about it on Thursday. We'd love for you to come. There'll be kind of similar stuff. Yeah. We've actually found that kids are more, especially post COVID are more interested in the discussion than in the big, exciting thing, you know, that we did, you know, young life is known for kind of like, Oh, we have a club and it's crazy and all that stuff that has been less popular. And I've talked to young life workers nationwide that, that, that tool, Mm -hmm. and that's all it is, is a tool has been less effective. Generally there's some exceptions, uh, but tools been less, uh, effective. And so many of us are like, well, that's fine. It's just a tool. We'll keep it, you know, in our back pocket, but we'll deploy other tools. So we'll just do a Bible study or we'll just, you know, do hmm. other things that then include some sort of gospel yeah. proclamation. Um, so, yeah, we have, you know, traditional Bible studies and a lot of kids like getting to know each other more and, and discussing things. I think one of the things with Young Life is we're often starting at ground zero. So it is an easy thing to just jump into. You know, we're assuming that they know nothing about the Bible, that they have no faith and those sort of things. So our Bible studies are usually assuming that that's the entry point. So it does become a little bit, uh, it could be an easier starting place for like an evangelistic Bible study, if you will. Um, So yeah, yeah, those are some dynamics that we have. That's good. So it's, well, I mean, what I'm hearing is it's really just the culture, right? Is the, the culture of, of the ministry is a a gospel culture and an, an evangelistic culture, which you know fits. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes sense. Um, is I, I'm interested in picking your brain for for a minute about um, if if you church based youth workers are listening in, um, and I'm I'm guessing that the majority of our, our listeners are church-based youth workers. And um, I mean, the ministry of a youth ministry, or the culture of a youth ministry is going to reflect the culture of the church. Mm-hmm. And most church cultures are not highly evangelistic, which is largely why Young Life started uh, to begin with, right? Because churches, frankly, weren't really doing the work of evangelism. It was the vision of a pastor in Texas that said, hey, yeah. you got an intern from uh, you know, DTS, from Dallas Theological Seminary. He got, and the intern was expecting to be deployed to lead the youth. And it was really the vision. The pastor said, actually, we're doing okay with the youth. We want you to spend as little time at the church as possible. Go to that high school across the street. So yeah, that's kind of how Young Life started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for church... For churches and church cultures and youth group cultures where evangelism isn't really a high priority, um, evangelism really isn't much more than um, a spoken value, but it's not an actual value. Mm-hmm. Um, if youth workers are listening and, and they want to lead the ministry to actually be more evangelistic, not just to talk about the Great Commission or to talk about evangelism, but to actually develop a culture of evangelism in their church-based 
youth ministry where they're swimming upstream. Um, parents often just want their kids to be safe and have a fun experience in church. Um, right. What counsel or advice would you have for those youth workers? Yeah. I, I mean, in the, in the book, you know, that kind of uh, kicked off while we're chatting the evangelism for the care of souls, I do discuss about how to have evangelism, um, kind of come out in, in more in the broader work of the church. I think that there's a lot of evangelistic opportunities that are dormant. Like they're, they're a part of the work of the church and they're just not being leveraged much at all. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that every service, I, you know, the church service I believe is for believers. And, but in the midst of that, I have a chapter and one of the emphases of mine is that not only do we need to, um, you know, evangelize, but we need to continually be re-evangelized as Christians. We need to continually keep hearing the good news over and over and over. And so, um, I don't think mm. anyone would really disagree with that, but any good, yeah. um, worship, uh, service, if you look at it, it should have evangelistic elements of proclaiming the good news of Jesus as proclaiming yeah. him as Lord, um, in, 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 uh, whenever you might take communion, there should be obviously a clear call for us to reflect upon ourselves. And there should be an offer of the goodness of the grace of God and the body of Christ on our behalf and all this. Um, in some churches, mm -hmm. uh, they might have a, you know, a, in the sermon, they might conclude with a challenge in, in, in for, for every person. So I think sometimes when we think about evangelism, we think it's only this like specialty that you do in certain situations. And I'd like to expand it, that it is any good worship service in every, on any given week probably has a bunch of dormant evangelistic opportunities. So, so that's one thing I say, which is maybe to look at what the church is already doing and, and, and see if we could maybe just, we don't even need to dial it up, but just clarify what we're doing in those, in those moments. Um, and yeah. So, so there's that, or maybe just drawing attention to them. Um, I think that there's a lot of young people like, you know, so my children, we go to an Anglican church and we, you know, uh, you know, we, we say the Lord's prayer and, you know, in the midst of that is an evangelistic call to call on the father as my own father. And there's, uh, you know, words about sin and forgiving people. You know, I mean, there, there's an evangelistic message in the Lord's prayer. There's a, an evangelistic message in, in the mm -hmm. Nicene Creed as we recite it every time for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. You know, um, the Lord, the giver of life is the Holy Spirit. Um, we take communion. There's a clear call yeah. for us to confess our sins and all that. So like our, my children, my teenagers, well, now one's not a teenager, he's older now. Um, but, you know, even in the midst of our, our service, there's tons of evangelism happening if we look for it. It's totally there. Would do you think that a liturgical service is super evangelistic? Actually, I would argue very much so. And it, it doesn't have to be a liturgical service to be that. In fact, a lot of other services might have more flexibility to be, call it out even more clearly, that right now come to Christ, you know, if you have not yet, you know. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah. so there's that, so there's already the work that the church is doing that I think there's probably, if you were able to look for it, it's, it's there. And, and I think kids actually don't mind being challenged. Do you know what's going on when all these things are happening on mm -hmm. Sunday morning and quote unquote big church? And, and yep. 
and, and maybe yep. just helping them understand that. So if you wanted to be more evangelistic, no one needs to like be young life and do crazy wild things and have to go to the campus. You could do those things. But I would instead say, what is it that the church is already doing that we might be able to magnify or focus on and make more of? Um, I don't think in a lot of churches, maybe in some, we need to necessarily like rewrite the script. But with the script that's written, what can we amplify? And what can we highlight to the kids and challenge them with? Hey, did you yeah. take communion last night? What was going on there? You know, um, did you, whatever it might be. Um, I think that we might be able to leverage what yeah. the work of the church is already doing and help kids understand it and engage with it maybe in new ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so, so basically we look for the gospel, right? I mean, hopefully our, our churches are already proclaiming the gospel. If not, that's a, a bigger problem, right? Like, yeah. where's the gospel already being proclaimed um, in your church and in your youth ministry? And open a conversation about that, right? Just invite invite the students to, to talk about it and poke and prod and make sure they really understand uh, what what this means and what the importance is. Um, but I think that does raise for me uh, a question that probably should have been uh, question number one or maybe number two. Um, could you could you clarify for us when when we're talking about the, the gospel, what is the gospel? Yeah, I, I have a, a chapter. Uh, obviously, you have to address that at some point in a book on evangelism. So. Um, you know, minimally, the gospel <laughs> is Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord, you know, two words in Greek. Uh, so Jesus is Lord is probably the, the, the most clearest way that we could say that. The, the fullest gospel would be the entire proclamation of the word of God, um, including, you know, the Bible from page one, you know, all the way through. Um, uh, but yeah, the yeah. focal point of the gospel is the proclamation that Jesus is Lord and that he died according to the scriptures for our sins and resurrected according to scriptures for our sins. So I would point most pointedly to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. Um, I did my some of my uh, master's work at St. Andrews on the gospel in the early church, and I focused on how uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4, worked into the early church and kind of made its way through what's called the rule of faith and arrived in the Nicene Creed. And, and just, it's all over the place when people wanted to summarize it. And if you look at what Paul's doing there, I you know told you of first importance. Yeah. I'm reminding you of what first importance. So, you know, uh, those, those sort of things. Yeah. That Jesus is Lord, um, that he died for our sins, according to scriptures, he resurrected, you know, according to scriptures. So... Those would be at the absolute center and probably essential um, requirements for proclaiming the gospel. And what is the gospel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, uh, regular re- readers and listeners to uh, Youth Pastor Theologian are kind of aware that I usually um, have the same emphasis. So I, I, I often give the same answer, right? But Great. Phrase yeah. it as the, the narrow gospel and the broader gospel. Yeah. How, how do you um, put that? I'm so, looking at more. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, so I, I define the, the narrow gospel as the, the message of the cross, right? That God saves sinners. How does he do that? He does that through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the narrow gospel is, is just really focused in and narrowed um, on what happened on the cross and the atonement. And the broader gospel is the, the drama of redemption, of creation, fall, redemption, mm-hmm. glorification. Right. Yeah. Consummation. Um, sure. And so... Um, there, there's two senses of the gospel. Um, the, the narrow gospel is what makes you a Christian, 
the broader gospel is what makes a Christian worldview, um, a Christian life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, so we, yeah. So um, the the goal of evangelism is conversion, right? Um, conversion is a word that sometimes just gets tossed around uh, without too much definition or, or clarification. You know, it's something that you've written um, a lot about, um, particularly in your your first book, Born Again. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm curious, could you could you talk to us for a, a little bit about what what do we mean by conversion, and how does a youth worker's theological understanding of conversion shape and influence their practice of evangelism? Yeah, yeah. So you know, in a more casual way, I'm very flexible about. I think we a lot of us would say, yeah, we kind of get the idea of conversion, become a Christian, you know, turning to Christ, something like that. So I'm very comfortable with maybe kind of everyday ways that people uh, would talk about it. For those of us that would want to like maybe take a step back and think a little bit with more precision on that, I would encourage us to think about a couple things. One is that conversion is a specific word in the New Testament, epistrophe, about which means to um, turn around. And it would be good to think about wh- how does that compare to metanoia, so which is usually translated, you know, repentance. So, you know, okay, let's talk about are they the same thing? Do they overlap? What are they? So metanoia usually is uh, thought of as to change your mind after thinking um, is kind of the etymology of that, how that word works. So it's something that happens um, kind of in your brain um, or in your soul. An interior type of change uh, is repentance in mind. And I w- and the entire Christian tradition is clear and scripture is clear that that is only comes as a miracle. I mean, it's a, it's a gift of God through faith. Like that's, we don't have control yeah. over um, like repentance unto salvation. That, that it's not something that we can manufacture as uh, a gift of God. So, so we have metanoia and repentance as a gift from God that, that is, a, is a supernatural work. So there's metanoia, there's repentance. Then we also have conversion, which is epistrephe or epistrepho and the similar ideas in the Old Testament. But it means to turn around. And it could mean as simple as I was in it. There's an instance of this in the Old New Testament with the way that both words, the Hebrew and the Greek work. I mean, it could just mean like I was going one direction and I needed to turn back. You know, it's like, literally just turning. And yeah. so yeah. The, the, the distinction that I would want to pull out there is um, there's a bit of an interior work that happens with repentance. And then there's an external uh, work that can happen in response to repentance um, that, that is, is noticeable. And without going too much into it, but like with uh, modernism and things like that, you know, the idea of conversion and the way that evangelicals talk about it kind of lands in the, you know, in the 17th century, uh, 18th century, as a, uh, in the world of experience. So what you end up having is people saying, I know when I converted, or I know when I, I'm able to put my finger on this experience. I heard George Whitefield preach and I, or John Wesley, um, you know, my heart was strangely warmed on May 24th, you know, 1738 on, and, you know, like I know when that happens. So what they're doing is they're putting their finger on this, this like human experience of which 
they're saying, if I'm feeling this kind of in my body and all this, there must be something that's miraculously happening inside of me that is evidence of God's miraculous work. So God's miraculous work, I would want to um, attribute more to things like uh, the, the gift of repentance. And conversion is when we respond. And it's kind of like you go, oh, dang, I should go a different way with my life. Oh, I should, you know, I should turn. I should, I would now recognize myself yeah. as a Christian. Yeah. It's this kind of external thing. So, right. um, yeah, so that's a little bit about the way I understand conversion and I talk about it in um several places in my born again book. Uh, I think I talk about it. Uh, I have a, uh, article in the Oxford handbook on Christian fundamentalism on conversion. They asked me to write that. So I kind of talk about what happened in Christian fundamentalism with that. I have a journal article coming out in the journal of biblical and theological studies about the differences about early evangelicals versus, um, second grade awakening evangelicals and versus, um, like the four spiritual laws, Bill Bright era about counting conversions and things like that. So I've thought a lot about it. I don't know if I have it all right, but I've definitely tried to think hard about it. But that that would be one of the things, kind of the external yeah. evidence of turning versus the miraculous work. And the, one of the things is there. It seems like um, Christians recognize that they're not always synchronized. Um, people don't always know exactly how and when God was originally working in their life. So, um, so yeah, there's that. And then also with conversion. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, there's a way in which I'd understand that, yeah, the goal of evangelism is conversion. But I think the goal of evangelism is to know Christ. This is eternal life in John 17, 3, that you might know me. Yeah. yeah. So I think the the goal isn't only, of course, a person needs to like begin knowing Christ, but there's a continuance. And in yeah. my book, uh, I talk in my born again book, yeah. I talk about ongoing conversion as the continuance of knowing Christ. Now I know Christ and I want to continue yeah. to know Christ. We know we, we experience eternal life as we continue to know Christ. Yeah. 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 No, that's a good correction. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the goal of con- evangelism is Christ, right? Conversion. It, we go through conversion, right? Mm-hmm. Evangelism goes through conversion to Christ. But yeah. Yeah. Conversion like is not that. the goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, to that's to know word. Christ, you know, and then that yeah. also in glorification as you go on further, that still works because, you know, beatific vision, whatever you want to call it, this continual experience in fellowship with Christ, union with Christ is, is a further evidence of the good news coming to fruit in your life. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good word. That's really good. Um, so just what does, how should a, a, a good biblical theology of conversion, um, how should that affect us as youth workers as we're talking about the gospel with, you know, crazy middle school boys mm-hmm. who just reek to high heaven and whose ADHD meds have worn off. Yeah. 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 And girls who are just like catty and, yeah. you know, focused on the cute boys across the aisle and like in like the, the reality <laughs> uh, that is student ministry um, where like, you're just trying to like not have to call 911 for whatever or like in the reality of student ministry yeah. what impact oh, does yeah. <laughs> conversion really have i've got i've got decades of yeah kids bouncing out the wall and yeah. fires little yeah. fires sometimes yes and i get the reality of it yes i mean there's a whole bunch of layers one yeah, just even there. being there with them as image bearers of christ we are our present our very presence as Christians is communicating something that, with them, even if there's literally no nothing 
seems like ha- happening. Yeah. So our presence yeah. that we are heralds of the gospel and that we're spending time with them is a evangelistic and ministerial thing that we should not take for granted. It's powerful. That'd be one thing. Another thing I would mm-hmm. say is even if it's it, it doesn't feel very successful, um, when we open up the word of the God, the word of God does things. And so I, I would say, even if you you feel like, gosh, dang it, they were not listening. They're on their phones. They ran away. You know, they're like uh, any time that I go, you know, I did open up the God's word and I said, I read it to them, or at least I tried to bring it to them. I'm going to, I have much yeah. more confidence in God's word bearing fruit than my words bearing fruit, you know? So, so I kind of have a checkbox in my head mm-hmm. of, did I, did I open up God's word and read it to them? you know, like at least a little bit, <laughs> um, yeah. and just having a lot a very high confidence in God's word. And I, I definitely have very shaky confidence in any of my words. So my, my, my presence, yeah. me being, a, you know, filled with the Holy spirit, um, my, just being an image bearer coming in and being with them. I feel like I have high confidence that God is doing things through my presence, being there with them in the name of Jesus and opening the word of God to them. Um, those, those things I just I know it feels like when, when you you just want to leave and I trust me, like really clearly that these aren't like, like there's <laughs> recent moments where I would just rather almost be anywhere than where I was at. Um, why am I here yeah. God in yeah. silently in my head and I get up to my car, <laughs> but I, you know, I gave it a shot and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm releasing the results to you, father. I, I just, somehow you, you reached me and you continue yeah. to, um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of have pretty low expectations for, myself, but I have, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm not too concerned with the outcome. Now I don't want to be, I need, it needs to be a safe environment. It needs to be a few other things. Um, yeah. but, yeah. but like I'm giving a shot and I'm trying, I'm being faithful and I'm opening up God's word and I'm going to just trust God with the results. And I'm going to come back next week too. And I'm going to do the same thing. Um, yeah, those are some of the kind of basics that I stick to. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and, and that's the the strange irony of uh, that it's it's actually more fruitful to to stumble through God's word than it is to eloquently give your opinion, mm. right? Like, um, just if, if we really believe that Scripture is the word of God, and that the Holy Spirit is is active among His people, um, mm-hmm. doing the work and drawing students to Himself, um, it, it's not about our skill. No. That's not an excuse to just be skillless. Um and, and I'm sure you've heard Mike, you know, a, a distracted, you know, sixth grader or something like that, that you thought they were not listening. Yeah. Like all yeah. the signals where they were not listening. Yeah. And then you talk oh, to them later. Yeah. And you know I'm talking you you know what I'm talking about, right, Mike? And you go, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. There was something yeah. happening there. It just had no I had no visibility to it. Yeah. 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 It's so true. Um so as we as we wrap things up, yeah, is there any final um, kind of words about evangelism in, in uh, the lives of unchurched teenagers um, that you want to share, or any um, books or resources that you'd recommend for for youth workers to go and check out if they want to learn more? Well, your books are great. I mean, um, I mean, I think that's why I know you. In fact, I'm at GCU. <laughs> I, I think I mentioned right before we came on here, we just standardized, you know, one of your books for our youth ministry class. So if you haven't, if you're listening and haven't already looked into the good work that Mike's doing, you should definitely check out his. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you didn't pay me or ask me to do any of that, but I'm just, no, I it's my last opinion because I'm on the curriculum team and pick books and we picked yours. So um, that's good. I mean, the, the Care for Souls book, the Cultivating a Pastor's Heart by 
um, Harold Sankbeil. That's a great read. It'd probably be really refreshing if you've ever been attracted to things like uh, Eugene Peterson. Yeah. Um, he's a, a he's you know there's there's differences, but I think you might be really refreshed and encouraged um, about the the slow, patient work of what it means to minister in people's lives and recognize that the Lord's the Lord and that we're not. Um, the the the, yeah. the role, the important and yet in some ways small role that we play as the Lord is their shepherd and we aren't. Um, so that would be a book. I, yeah. I mean, I, I literally have it next to my desk all, all the time because I, I just reflect upon it. Um, yeah, those are, those are your book and I'd, I'd say Hal's book. Uh, yeah. That Kira Soul's book has really been a big one for me. Wow. That, that, what a one-two punch, huh? Ah. <laughs> um, I, 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 w- I would add to that. Um, I recently listened to Eugene Peterson's memoir, The Pastor. Right. Yes. Um, on audiobook. Uh-huh. I, I just I had just an extra credit and I was like, you know what? Let's do this. It was incredible. Yes. Um, and I think it dovetails really well with a lot of the things that you've been emphasizing and with the book Care of Souls. Um, I, I know some of our more theologically Minded youth workers might come in and think Eugene Peterson, the message, boo, hiss, garbage. I'm not, no, like, seriously, put your theological snobbishness away. And uh, that book was beautiful. Uh, his, his memoir, The Pastor, really um, nourished my soul. So, um, Sean, thanks so much for your ministry. Uh, thanks for. Uh, joining us for this episode on the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. And to our listeners, thanks for serving students. And uh, we will see you next week. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. YPT's mission is to empower youth workers to pursue theological depth because we're committed to inviting students into a faith that's big enough to grow into. You can learn more about the ministry and other resources we offer at youthpastortheologian.com, and you can find us on most social media at Youth Theologian.